Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me to take your questions and also discuss today's markets are Derek Janser von Rensburg from Anchor and independent analyst Chris Gilmore. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Chris, Derek, good to see you there uh, this evening. Derek, if I may start with you, not, not a, um, a dramatic finish on the all-share index, although there was a lot of company news today, a lot of um, companies coming out with results, some of them really spectacular under the circumstances. But I think <coughs> what has captured uh, the market's um, attention is the move in the euro-dollar exchange rate, the euro falling to a 20-year low, uh, the fact that uh, Russia is going to throttle back gas supplies until Western nations collectively lift sanctions against it. And it just seems euro, um, the, the euro is not the place to be. And um, if I can actually start with a question, maybe to kick us off in the discussion, the, uh, it came through earlier asking, the fact that the dollar index reached 20-year highs today, how high does your panel think the dollar can go? And what, what would they be buying when it starts to reverse? Well, firstly, do you see it starting to reverse anytime soon? Well, I think any, any experienced broker would tell you, you know, that the trick about this is not really to pick the tops or the bottoms. So obviously we've seen this 20-year high. Um, there's momentum behind it. I think it can continue. The fact of the matter is that we're obviously fighting this tide of rising inflation. Input costs are still continued to be continuing to be high. Um, and I anticipate a stronger dollar from here, to be honest. So I think that there is still some wind in the sails. We'll probably probably see uh, that dollar strengthen slightly further from where we are at the moment. Um, and let's just call it a bit of a risk off uh, scenario when it comes to looking at equities uh, on the back of that. Uh, that said, you've also got to look at the U.S. Treasuries and, and make a call as to where we think these uh, U.S. Treasuries are going to peak out from a yield perspective. Mm. Yields are very strong. Uh, there's, there's an argument to hold on to dollars in this environment, and I think that that momentum will continue. So, um, you know, I don't know where the top in it or the bottom in it is going to be, but I certainly think that um, you, you want to hold on to those dollars and then slowly just as you start to see those sell-offs in the equity market, slowly start to bleed it into the equity markets, but just do it on a phased approach. As I said, we don't know where, where it's going to peak out and how long it's going to continue, but certainly this is a very rare environment if we just zoom out and look at the environment over the last 40 to 50 years where we do see this very high inflationary environment. Input costs are high, consumers are under pressure, and I think that uh, holding dollars is probably a very... Mm. Uh, prudent uh, place to hide at this point. But again, on the back of that, as equity prices start to come down, you want to slowly participate in those softer equity markets. Chris, what's your view? I mean, the dollar sort of steamrollering everything before it. Um, and I mean, Europe is in just a, a, a world of pain right now. And I, I, yeah. I suppose the UK is not, not much better. You have a new prime minister. Um, but I saw one comment um, on the FT earlier saying that she's got to be great just to be good, because she's got a lot uh, to confront um, as she takes on the job. Okay, let's come on to Liz Truss in a moment. But I would agree with exactly what, um, what Derek's been saying. Um, look, Europe is a very different kettle of fish to the US. The US is relatively homogeneous. 
you know. Um, uh, uh, Europe is 27 different countries. They're all going in different directions to a very large extent. So take a simple thing like gas. On the face of it, it looks like a very simple thing. Um, Have you got um, the Europeans all talking from the same, singing from the same song sheet? No, you haven't. Um, You've got the Italians, uh, you typically threatening to break ranks. You've got the, um, the, the chap, what's his name, Viktor Orban in, in Hungary, threatening to break ranks. There are all sorts of different uh, little operations there threatening to break ranks. So the cohesion isn't necessarily there. Okay? Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a gigantic game of chicken is the way I put it. <laughs> You know, yeah. the, the, the Russians are, and it's a big Mexican standoff, or you can call it whatever you like. They're, they're threatened to, they're, as we speak, they're flaring off millions of, of cubic meters of, um, of gas every single day on the Finnish border. They would rather flare it off than, than put it through Nord Stream 1. Yeah. Um, they can't actually put, uh, they, they can't cut back on their oil supplies. You do understand that, because if they do that, the oil and, and the water mix starts freezing. And um, so they, they actually have a problem. Mm. So the G7, you know, and, and the EU with their sanctions and their, their limited sanctions are probably going to prevail in the longer run, provided they can maintain that cohesion. Yeah. So to answer your question, the, the Americans, they, they don't have to have, have, have a cohesive approach. It's already there. Yeah. So I think um, the, the Europe is going to be seen to be the, the weak link. Um, China is a weak link. They've got all sorts of problems with their zero COVID policy. Russia is a massively weak link, uh, for if, if people would just realize it. The UK is a particularly weak link. <laughs> I, think, I think Liz Truss is going to be a monumental disaster. That's my, 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 my considered opinion. So, you know, where do you go? You, you, you go into the dollar. I, say, yeah. I think the dollar index has got significant further upside. Yeah. Well, I don't know what that means for the RAND. Um, I hope it isn't as bad as I fear it might be. But, you know, taking back this back to the South African market, because I suppose people, uh, local retail investors would say, well, how, how do I trade this? And I suppose the one thing that you can trade is um, the coal stocks. <laughs> you saw Tungela today, because if Europe doesn't have gas, then they're going to have to go for alternative forms of energy, which if they aren't solar or uh, any form of renewable, it's going to be coal. And I suppose that is the thinking behind, um, well, at least uh, the thinking behind uh, any traders piling into Tungela or Xaro, although Xaro never to the same extent as Tungela. Um, Derek, have you looked at this and thought, okay, well, maybe the trade is back on here? And um, we were all quite cautious about buying Tungela, thinking, oh, it's just, it's, it's just so frothy. But if this is the situation in Europe now, then maybe there's more to be had. So again, you've got to ask the question: Is it frothy? I mean, at the end of the day, we're sitting on the on these elevated coal prices, and one needs to make a call: How long these elevated coal prices will persist? My view is that this in the short term is probably a new norm and you're probably going to see these cold prices sit at these elevated levels for some time particularly if we move into the winter period through this uh sort of northern hemisphere winter um so yes i think that the alternative would be cold i think from a south african perspective you've also got to just understand how much of these coal companies are actually exporting you know we've also got our own nuances when it comes to transnet and actually exporting this coal so ultimately, at the end of the day, I think Tungel is very well positioned. We've seen the recent results. They've declared quite a significant dividend. You're going to see 60 Rand given back to shareholders in the short term. 
Um, so I think a lot of short-term traders are probably going to position to divvy strip this kind of a, a yield uh, in the short term. But if it does come off, you've got to keep a very close eye on that cold price and just sort of make a call on fundamentals, uh, fundamentals ultimately at the end of the day. And even at 350 rand a share, um, yeah, I think there's there's sort of an argument to see it push back towards or push towards that 400 mark and possibly towards that 420. But just mm. be very close to the door on these commodity prices. You know, when it does turn, it turns very quickly. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that it's there's still an argument to hold Tungela into the dividend and probably beyond that as we move into this northern hemisphere winter. Chris, would you, um, if you were a more risk-verse person uh, such as myself, would you look at something else like Exaro or would you look at Glencore where coal isn't the only thing, uh, the only commodity that a miner produces, so you hedge yourself with other commodities um, or Look, think, alternatively other coal no. companies. I mean, Tungela is not the world's only coal company by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, but with Tungela, you, you do get this, this, this kind of pure play. Uh, I, mean, I think Derek is right uh, when he says uh, be very careful with all these commodity uh, companies. But having said that, I take your point to Julieta. Um, uh, of the ones you've mentioned, I, I do like Glencore because um, they have the added attraction of having the marketing arm which adds a little bit of spice to the, to, to the whole thing. I think as we approach December the 5th and you get this, this, this uh, price cap coming onto oil, um, onto Russian oil, then I think most commodities are going to have quite, 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 a, quite a bit of an uh, upside. Um, and it, it virtually doesn't matter what commodities we're talking about. Uh, I'm talking about hard commodities here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, coal, uh, any form of energy, uh, you, you pay your money, it takes your choice. It's, it's going to, they're, they're going to have a fairly good uh, uh, time. Beyond December the 5th and this, this gigantic game of chicken, you see who blinks first. Uh, beyond that, then it becomes a different ball game altogether. Yeah, okay. Um, there are a couple of questions, but maybe just before I get to them, some of the results that came out. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you had a close look at Bidvest, uh, but I, I just have to say I was quite surprised that the market reaction was quite muted towards it. I mean, you know, they, they highlight the fact that they've made trading profits that are close to what they made before they split out Bidcorp, which was always the more, in a way, the more highly regarded part of the business, which is actually an incredible achievement. Um, Derek, Bidvest is up 18% year to date. Today it was only up about 1%. Is, are we missing a trick here? Um, or are there other factors there that would maybe make you a little bit more circumspect about Bidvest? So I think just to remind the viewers out there that we were guided to this result with a trading statement on the lead up to these results. So a lot of the positivity and good news, as you mentioned, 18% year to date, was probably priced in on the back of this trading statement. Personally, I think that this is an excellent business and I think this result was an excellent result. Um, I think we just need to remind ourselves, you know, kind of zooming out and looking at it from a bird's eye perspective, we are in a very difficult environment as we move through the course and, and sort of the latter part of 2022, where we are fighting this inflationary environment. Consumers are certainly under the pinch and companies really need to look at those cost lines to enhance revenue at this stage of the game. So my personal synopsis was that I think Bidvest over the last year or 18 months for that matter have certainly managed the very difficult environment in, in, in an exceptional manner. Um, at the current prices, I think it actually looks quite interesting. Um, and I certainly think that this is a good quality company that certainly should make up 
a component of a local portfolio. So I'm happy to even pay the current prices, even after the strong rally that we've seen through the course of this year. Um, and I think that they'll continue to, to deliver some decent earnings. So long and short, happy to pay the price, um, good result, probably a muted reaction on the back of, okay. uh, you know, quiet markets off, uh, offshore today, and then obviously no sort of, uh, or guided to it by a trading statement. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on Bidvest? Because it was always assumed that Bidvest would be the weaker performer, in particular during COVID, and yet actually it's been the stronger of the two, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, any thoughts yeah. here on the results or what yeah. you might buy? I, I agree. I, I think, you know, uh, it's, it's typical of, of, of a market like this. You're throwing really, I mean, as you said, that was an exceptional result. So throwing, you know, casting pearls before swine, basically. Um, this is what, what's happening. You're casting really good results against a market that actually doesn't care. Um, and I think, you know, once the market normalizes a bit, then I think uh, a quality operation like this, uh, South Africa's largest company, effectively, uh, will come through. I mean, to, to do it off such a, a relatively all, already high base, you know, is, 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 is a phenomenal achievement. So, um, no, no, look, I think the market has given a far too muted uh, reaction. Uh, let us take some questions now. Uh, the first is on... Um, Sabanya and City Lodge over a three-year uh, time frame. Um, Derek, okay, two totally different uh, sectors. Maybe let's start yeah. with City Lodge. Um, you've seen some great results from Toho and Sun International. Uh, City Lodge, a bit of an outlier compared to those two? Yeah, so if you just look at it on a valuation basis, I think that the stock that probably jumps out at me the most in that hospitality space is actually Sun International. I think that's probably looking a bit cheaper than the other two. City Lodge probably priced to perfection at this price. Obviously, you need that pickup in uh, movement, people traveling, business travel, et cetera, starting to take place. Um, and that also pivots around consumer spend ultimately at the end of the day and also goes back to economic growth. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit muted about City Lodge at these levels. Uh, you know, Six to 12 months back, I was a little bit more bullish than what I thought. And the results or the, or the numbers have kind of left me slightly muted where I've got more of a hold position on it as opposed to a strong buy or a high conviction buy on it. Okay. I'd like to see what they deliver over the next six months. But certainly my preferred pick would probably be Sun International uh, in that hospitality space. Mm. Chris, I mean, you can see that in the share price. It's sort of stuck around the four rand level. Um, I imagine that the market would be looking for some sort of catalyst for it to go in, in any particular direction. Yeah, look, I think um, the, the, the outlook for the, the tourist season, uh, which pretty much starts in October, November, and goes all the way through to about March, will be significant for City Lodge. Um, and, you know, Sun's National derives an awful lot of it. Some, you know, it, 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 it's, it's maybe not quite such a pure play. Um, as, as City Lodge, there's, there's a gaming element to that. Um, but City Lodge is, um, is is a pure play, and they had a, a, a dreadful time in the past few years. Um, so the, the, the occupancies are, are are up into the into the fifties now, and um, the results will be out what uh, later this week sometime. And um, look, you have to look at those those occupancies uh, pretty closely to see what's going to happen. But I think. I think if you look at what Spurs has been saying, for example, in, in terms of the hospitality uh, outlook, um, they use the Santa Ana Spur down in the, the waterfront as being their benchmark for, for, for tourism. They're about 90% of, um, of what they were 
uh, back in 2019. Okay. Um, so we're getting there. And if, we, if you get a normal tourist season, I think City Lodge will do very, very well indeed. Um, is it all in the price? I don't think so just yet, no. Okay. What about Sabania on a three-year view? Derek, um, you know, it's struggling also to move much above, what, 40 rand? I don't know, it's probably yes. gone above 40 rand. Um, yeah, your thoughts there? So I think that this whole platinum palladium space is in a very different position that we went through, call it, uh, during the commodity prices in 2016. Single commodity players in this type of environment are very difficult to call. Um, we obviously saw that palladium price peak above 3000 on the back of Russia invading Ukraine, and we're getting somewhat of a hangover effect where we do see this uh, sort of hard commodity price coming down towards this 2000 mark. I think quite a lot of the bad news is probably in the price. Results were reported a couple of weeks ago, and I think a lot of the market kind of anticipated softer results, a more cautious outlook. But I do think that uh, commodity prices at these levels are probably poised for a little bit of short-term upside. So my sort of synopsis would be that there's cash on balance sheet. This is a management team that has delivered over the last three, four, five years since it unbundled. Um, and I certainly think that the way that they're positioned from a fundamental perspective, if you do get that leveraged effect in commodity prices, pla platinum and palladium in particular, more so palladium, uh, then I think you're going to start to see a higher share price. So long and short, do I see the palladium price going higher from these levels? I anticipate some higher levels as we start to move through the last quarter of this year and into the start of next year. So I'd hold, probably we've been, been nibbling at it. Chris, does Sabania float your boat at all? Yeah, going back to what I said earlier about commodities, hard commodity prices, I think, yes, in that broad context, uh, definitely. Uh, and look, Neil Froneman's got to justify his, uh, his big package, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose so. You can say, well, it's historical now. And also, yeah, I asked them about that. They say the shareholders <laughs> voted in favour, etc., etc., etc. Yes, but uh, true. Um, what about Impala? Um, the question was, it went down to 162 Rand on the results. Um, today, it went to 185 Rand. There was more announcements, um, uh, another SENS announcement that it's um, added to its RB Plat holdings. So I think it's got 39% now. Uh, Chris, um, your thoughts on this one? Any particular reason why it would jump to the extent it has? No, I think this, this is an ongoing thing with RB Plats. Is it going to happen? I don't know. I don't follow the, the platinum countries very, very closely, to be honest. Chris, um, sorry, Derek, how about you? Yeah, so I think, you know, anything in the mark, in the listed environment, whenever you get corporate activity, it kind of puts a sort of muted response to share prices until you can actually get behind the fact of the corporate action done and dusted. So, yes, further announcements, they're increasing their stake. I think they're up to about 39% of RB Platts. Obviously, to acquire that company or a competitor like that, they're going to have to give somewhat of a premium. So, you know, they're going to be very reliant on underlying commodity prices from here on out. Um, you know, obviously, short-term capex is going to put a dampener on share price performance. We've seen that happen, taking it down to that 160 level. But there's a leveraged effect from here on out. If we do see 10% higher palladium prices, platinum prices from current levels, then there's certainly going to be a probable earnings ticker that the market's going to start to price in sooner than it actually happens. So, um, again, it goes back to my call on underlying commodity prices. Uh, I think at these levels, we'll probably see them gradually tick up as we move through the course over the, over the next quarter. 
and as we start and, and sort of trade into the year of 2023. So I'm not overly bullish, but I just think a lot of bad news has been priced into the underlying commodity prices on the hard commodity side. Okay, well, I suppose it's the there's a Mexican standoff there too with Northern over the RB plat holding and really don't know how that's going to uh, pan out. Um, there's a question on Renogen uh, asking now that it started production in the LNG space, also said it's switched on the Virginia gas project today. Is this the space to watch? Um, Chris, going back to you, Renogen shares ticked up a little bit today. Yeah, it's kind of small. I mean, you're talking to the wrong person. Anthony Clark's the guy you must speak to on this one. But having said that, <laughs> You know, um, it's um, it, it's a very, very small operation. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, LNG is going to be where the action is um, uh, all around the world, um, including in South Africa uh, at some point in time. So, um, absolutely, they're, they're onto a fantastic thing, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, look, it's a, it's a small cap stock. I don't follow it. But, um, yeah, as Anthony is, uh, is much more um, adept at uh, talking about it than I am. Derek, I mean, do you follow this closely? It's, uh, I suppose, the it's helium really that is is the the, the big potential asset, the game changer for Renogen. Um The share price has stabilised a little bit. So it maybe got a bit of ahead of itself. Do you think now is actually a reasonable level? And it's quite a good thing to see, um, not such wild swings in something that is maybe a little bit more speculative than than a company already in full production. So I guess, just going back to what Chris said, I think the Virginia operation is a very small component to what they're actually doing at the moment in terms of uh, diversification and other assets and bringing helium to market. I think that the market, um, or generally the market, has kind of misunderstood helium and the demand for helium. I think helium has got great demand and great potential particularly when you look at space exploration and you look at alternative energy. So I think that the business is very well positioned. The announcement today essentially takes it from exploration to production. So it's all about how uh, efficiently they can actually bring that production to market and actually sell off and start generating some revenue. And then you probably find sort of six months, 12 months down the line, key strategic stakeholders starting to look at Renogen um, you know, and, and look for, for key strategic stakes to obviously make some money out of it ultimately at the end of the day. Because I do think that the helium asset is a quality asset. Um, but yeah, it, it's got its risks associated with yeah. it. Can I just ask though, from a trading perspective, when you see a share do that, that is more speculative, that is uh, more, it's not quite exploration, but it's, you know, it's, it's not an Anglo. When it starts to kind of consolidate, does that get you quite interested in other words, it's not just wild swings all over the place, that there's kind of a base building um, of committed shareholders, you could say. Yeah, yeah, yes and no. I think that the market's looking for the next catalyst. And I think that the announcement today is a very small component to the bigger picture of what Renogen's trying to build over the next five years. So I think for me, keeping an eye on the share price is the market's anticipating and waiting for the next catalyst to take it to those previous okay. tops. And I think that would be more of a strategic investor, stakeholder okay, coming to the table and kind of seeing seeing the potential and putting some money behind it. Okay, cool. Um, getting to your stock picks uh, fairly quickly. Uh, Chris, what are you looking at this evening? Uh, I share as aer aerospace and, um, and defense stock, ITA, uh, the ETF. 
Uh, basically, I've taken the view that we're going to see this um, grinding war in Ukraine carrying on for at least the next year, maybe ne next next few years. And there's going to be continued demand, I think, for um, U.S. Um, aeronautics and, and, and uh, stuff and weapons. So if you don't mind being uh, a warmonger, then uh, this is this is the stock for you. <laughs> yeah, you've got to... Got to make money out of it somehow. Um, fair enough. Can't necessarily shove it under the ESG folder, but there you go. Um, <laughs> Derek, how about you? Okay, so I'm keeping it local this evening and I'm going with MTN. Uh, we've obviously seen the share price kind of peak around that 200 Rand level. We've seen some results come out. I think that there's, there's still some strong fundamental argument to buying the share at these levels, call it 127 Rand per share. There's been obviously some corporate activity around the telecom takeover that's still ongoing. I think a lot of that sort of softer share price is pricing in that short-term capex or the potential of that acquisition. And I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding around how the ex extrapolation of Nira out of Nigeria coming back into RANS is starting to translate into earnings. So long and short is, I think in the short term, we've seen some pretty bad news being priced into the share price still sitting on a strong yield, still delivering strong cash flows. And I think that the business continues to look to diversify its offering, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, mobile payment systems uh, and obviously different uh, jurisdictions outside yeah. of South Africa. So long and short, I think at these levels, MTN is starting to look very fundamentally attractive and that would be my stock pick at, at this point in time. Okay, we have to leave it there. Uh, Derek, Chris, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Nice to chat to you both. Derek Janssen van Rensburg is from Anchor. And Chris Gilmer is an independent analyst. And Bright will be back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Do have a good evening.